Welcome into the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, also our football writer. But football's not going to be the main topic today because this is an incredibly busy week, obviously with the state football finals going on Thursday and Friday at Camp Randall in Madison. But we'll have a separate podcast a little later in the week that'll focus on that and, and preview the seven state championship games. But this is a, a very busy week where three of the most prominent sports all intersecting at the same time in some fashion, only time that happens on the calendar, as we have the first girls basketball games underway this week, beginning Tuesday night. And we have boys basketball practices underway today around the state of Wisconsin. The 2018-2019 season officially kicking off. Obviously, uh, I'm sure many schools doing morning practices and afternoon practices and evening or evening practices to try to get ready. First games are next Tuesday, so it comes quickly. And to talk about the upcoming boys basketball season, the only person that we could and the only person that we would want to have on to talk about that, WSN boys basketball writer, veteran of the Wisconsin Basketball Yearbook, 34 years for that incredible publication, Mark Miller. Uh, Mark, it's uh, it's got to feel good to finally get the season going after all of the uh, the prep work, all of the preseason stuff uh, that uh, that you do, and, and obviously getting the yearbook out that's in in folks' hands. So it's got to feel good to to finally have things here as we get going with boys' basketball practices. I couldn't agree more. It's always a relief for me when the book is out and published. <laughs> um, and you know it's a long process. It's uh, it starts basically after the end of last season with sending out surveys and typing in the standings and and um, uh, for all our conferences and and you know getting the surveys back. Uh, they kind of trickle in throughout the spring and, and summer, and then they come in pretty heavy in the fall. And you know typing all that information in and trying to organize it and uh, get it in a, a readable fashion takes time. But then even when uh, when I'm done with my part, it takes probably another three weeks or so for the designer to get it ready for the printer and then for the printer to come up with the proofs. And then, of course, for the printer to print the book and bind it and get it ready for distribution. So it's always a relief when that's done. And, and it's done and it's available. And, uh, of course, like you mentioned before, Travis, the season starts today. And it's, uh, uh, you know, other than the 14 football teams that are still playing uh, for the championships this week, um, you know, all the fall sports are pretty much done. So, uh, you know, it's uh, the girls, like you mentioned, girls basketball starting up this Tuesday and boys starting up the following Tuesday with games already. So by that time of the year, and it's it's fun. It's uh, I'm ready to go. And give us a little history of when you first started the basketball yearbook, what, what that process was like then, what your goal was then, what you were hoping to accomplish, and, and kind of how things have you know, changed and uh, and grown over the last 34 years of publishing the Wisconsin Basketball Yearbook? Well, I've always been a high school basketball fan going back to the time I was in grade school and attending games in Appleton where I grew up. And um, I went to the UW Oshkosh to major in journalism and uh, uh, was working in newspapers and uh, happened to come across a magazine of a similar uh, nature uh, in the state of Minnesota and, and uh, you know, looked at it and thought about it and kind of pondered it for several months and thought, gosh, this would really be cool if we could get something like this going in Wisconsin. And I think it was uh, June of 1985. Uh, it goes back a few years, obviously. I 
I decided to give it a whirl. And I remember one of the first people I talked to was Tom Destell at Sheboygan North. He happened to have a senior that year, uh, two really good seniors, actually, and they won the state title in 1986. But Kurt Portman and Troy Rudolph were the were the key players on that Sheboygan North team back in 1985-86. And I remember traveling over to Sheboygan and talking to Tom about the idea and interviewing Kurt Portman uh, for a story uh, in the magazine. And, and Kurt was on the cover of the first issue. And, you know, like you mentioned before, 34 years later, we're still doing it. The changes have been dramatic. Um, there was no internet, of course, when I started in 85, so everything was by mail. There was no email or anything like that. So I was uh, uh, a lot of phone calls, a lot of traveling around, meeting with coaches, explaining the idea of the yearbook, showing them the Minnesota yearbook to kind of give them uh, a template of what we were going to try to do in Wisconsin, talking with coaches who were involved at the time with the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association. I remember talking to Joe Maturi uh, quite a bit about it. He was at Madison Edgewood at the time, and of course, went on to to, to uh, be an administrator at the University of Wisconsin and at Denver University, and later at uh, the athletic director at Minnesota. So, as far as the putting the book together, it was all mail, and uh, whether it was pictures or our surveys, it was all done through the U.S. Postal Service. And uh, laying it all out and getting the getting it ready for the printer was totally different then than it is today. Of course, uh, you can do it all on a computer, and we use InDesign program to do that. But back, uh, you know, probably the first 10, 12 years of the yearbook, it was all pasted up, um, kind of how they used to do newspapers back in the day where, you know, you'd type in the story and it would come out on film and you would paste the, the film down on a sheet of paper and and, um, and away you go. So a lot of changes over the years for sure. And uh, it, it has grown and, and, you know, as somebody that I remember being in the basketball yearbook and how cool that was to see my name in. Uh, in, in when I was in high school, my senior year in 1997, 1998, um, you know, we, like you said, there was no internet back then. We weren't going on with sports to, to see anything. And every once in a while we'd be in the paper. Um, but it was, uh, it was a cool thing. I still have, you know, the, some pictures of when uh, we were in the yearbook and, uh, so it, it was a cool deal for me. I'm, it's still a cool deal for kids to see their names in there. It's a, a, an awesome deal for coaches at the high school level, at the college level, that use it uh, religiously. And it, it's it's been fun to watch. And even before I came to WSN, when I was a, a high school and, and college basketball coach, I uh, bought the yearbook every year. I remember going to the book uh, book worlds many times to try to find it. So it's uh, it's been awesome to see. Uh, but we do have to get into talking about the season itself. And there are so many storylines coming out of last year. There were so many storylines last year itself. Um, as we head into the 2018-19 season, what are the top three storylines that you are looking at following as we get going in 2018-19? Well, that's a hard question because there's really uh, probably 500 storylines because you know it's about how many high school teams we have, you know. I mean, obviously, you're, the big the big ones that are going to attract a lot of interest are, are the main stories that you're talking about, Travis. But every every school, every coach, really every player, you know, has has aspirations for what's going to happen here over the next several months, and and it'll be fun to follow. You know, there are some teams that aren't aren't in our preseason rankings that we just uh, posted up on Wiz Sports this over the last ten days or so that will be in the top ten when when the first rankings come out. Um, you know, so it's, it's fun for those teams that are maybe under the radar right now that are using that perhaps as motivation. Hey, they're overlooking us. And then, you know, get off to a great start, maybe, you know, win their first six, seven games of the year. And all of a sudden, 
they're off and running. So those would be good storylines. But if you if you, if I had to break it down into three storylines, I think the number one storyline probably is 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 following the uh, the continued improvement and the in the uh, sheer unbelievable ability of, of three guys in our state who all are ranked right now among the top five in their respective classes in the country uh, in the 247 composite rankings. And those three guys, of course, are Jalen Johnson of uh, Nicolet, who's ranked number five in the country uh, in the 2020 class. He's a junior, of course, and will be leading that team this year after playing uh, at Sun Prairie the past two years and and moving to the Milwaukee area and now playing at uh, Nicolet for his junior season. And then in the, in the 2021 class, the state has uh, the number one ranked player in the nation uh, on 247 composite and Patrick Baldwin Jr. at Sussex Hamilton. He's, of course, the son of UW-Milwaukee coach Pat Baldwin. And then the number three player in the country in that class, Michael Foster Jr. from Milwaukee, Washington. So, I mean, we have three guys in our state right now who any, any, country, any program in the country would love to have any one of those three guys. Um, and, you know, we've obviously had some very high-ranked kids in the past, but I, I can't remember when we've had three guys in the top five in the country uh, spreading over two classes like this. It's just amazing that the ability of those three kids, their versatility, uh, their size, their athleticism, the fact that they can play multiple positions and can defend and rebound and, and make shots both from the perimeter and in the, in the lane, um, so I think that's one big story. Another story that I think I'm going to be following pretty closely this year is uh, a few years back, Young Cogs Prep won the Division Five state championship. People may remember that. And um, a lot of people, what 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 is Young Cogs Prep or what is this all about? Well, we have two more schools this year that I think have a chance to to make some noise on the statewide level that a lot of people probably aren't going to be familiar with. One of those is Golden My Year, which is out of Milwaukee. And it's a it's an MPS charter school, and they play in the blue division of the city conference, which has kind of sprung up over the last year or two. Um, and they have a very talented lineup, uh, and we have them ranked number six in the preseason in the D3 level. Um, and the other school is Milwaukee Academy of Science, um, which plays an independent schedule and is a ranked number two preseason in Division Four. So keep an eye out for those two Milwaukee area schools that are that are uh, smaller schools that have big-time talent and will contend uh, for uh, state championships uh, this year in, in, in very competitive Division three and four um, in, in the field of those very competitive teams. And then, of course, I think the other story that, that everyone's going to keep an eye on is Milwaukee-Washington, not only with Michael Foster Jr., but Deontay Long coming back, um, getting paroled from, from his prison sentence and, and being back enrolled at Washington now. And um, obviously he finished up the year there last year and they, they came up a couple points short in the division two title game against Kakana. You know, how will Deontay play this year? Um, you know, and, and obviously their team is super talented and, and that whole division two field is crazy good with Nicolay and Washington and across central and Kakana and on Alaska, you can go up and down the line. There's so many good teams there. Um, but I think uh, a lot of eyes will be on, on Washington and on, you know, Deontay, you know, does he, does he come out and really have a great year? Because remember now he hasn't, he has not been able to play competitively since the end of last high school season. And we're talking about a kid that, that is definitely a division one prospect. Um, but because he's been in jail, he has not been able to play. So, um, you know, all indications are that, 
that he that he's on the he's on the upswing in terms of his academic progress, in terms of uh, you know just his overall um, his overall uh, approach to life um, and, and learning a, a very very difficult lesson um, you know in a, in, a, in a difficult way. Um, so I think that's obviously going to be a story that a lot of people are going to keep an eye on. So I think those would be my top three stories heading into the season. What What are you hearing on? the college prospects for Deontay Long as a convicted felon and somebody that served uh, six months uh, incarcerated. Are there division one programs that will take a shot at him? Are there junior colleges that might give him a chance? And then later on, he might get some, some D one opportunities. What, what are you hearing or what do you think might happen with him at the next level? Well, I had a chance to talk to Freddie Riley about that when I wrote the story on Wisp Sports uh, when Deontay was paroled and asked him that very question, Travis. And, and um, you know, I, I think a lot of them are taking a wait-and-see approach. Okay, he's he's done his time. He's now paroled, but he still has to, you know, still has to do well in the classroom, still has to do well as a player in order to garner their interest. And then he, he has to do well as a human being. And, um you know, I, I know Freddie's very optimistic in all three of those areas and, and uh, has been staying very close to Deontay throughout this whole process. Um, so I think uh, I don't think anything's going to pop right away for him. But as we go into the season and Washington plays its games and, and Deontay gets back on the court, uh, you know, people will see how he's doing, um, you know, as a basketball player and as a human being. And then and then, you know, it'll take care of itself. My hunch is that that he will get offers, um, and he, they will be Division One offers. I think he'll also get some some very high junior college offers, um, and you know he'll have to weigh, weigh the the pros and cons of both and and see where he is next spring. But I obviously he's not going to sign early in November here. Um, but I, he's such a good player and such a versatile player that I I do think that he will have uh, plenty of interest and and will get offers. Now you know would it happen from teams in the state probably not um you know and, and even for Deontay for Deontay himself it might be best to 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 get away a little bit from you know from uh, everyone in our state knows his story and you know for our Marquette of Wisconsin or Green Bay or Milwaukee to to get involved I guess I'd be a little surprised um but he's he's obviously a good enough player um to to garner interest from from a lot of schools. So we'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. But it is good. He's going to need his senior year here of high school basketball to determine where he'll end up in this, uh, you know, next fall for, for his basketball and academic career. I'm Travis Wilson. He's Mark Miller. We're talking about the upcoming boys basketball season. And Mark, you mentioned one of the big storylines is going to be the, the transfer situation at Nicolay. Um, we're not going to get into the merits of of that or or <laughs> debate the the transfers themselves, but I, I I am curious, what is the reaction? What is the thought within the basketball community, within the basketball coaches community, about all the transfers that are occurring in the state of Wisconsin, and not just the high profile ones at at Nicolet. To be quite honest with you, I think maybe the most eye opening thing about transfers in the last few months was the article you did about all of the transfers at the schools in the Fox Valley Association, how prevalent it is there, how almost every team has transfers in or out, significant transfers, kids that are starting, getting all conference. What's what's the sense amongst coaches? Is is all the transfer that is that is happening now a good thing? Is it a 
bad thing? Is it an accepted thing? Is it something that any of them care about trying to change, limit, or prevent? Well, I won't sugarcoat this at all, and I'll just say that the coaches are very, very upset about it, at least the ones that have reached out to me. Um, You know, I'm talking about coaches that are in communities where they're not going to get transfers like that. Um, You know, it's one thing for a school like Nicolet to get transfers. I mean, they're in a huge metro area. It's a very good academic school. It's, you know, it's got a good reputation. They're they're probably going to get some transfers. Um, Same thing with the private schools. You know, you're probably going to get some transfers at some point in time. Um, and even within MPS and the suburban schools, there are transfers. And you mentioned the FBA, um, lots of transfers, uh, you know, but when you take a look at Kimberly, Kakana, Appleton, Nina, Menasha, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of people living in that area there where open enrollment can, can happen. Uh, Kakana's team, for example, has, uh, three or four open enrolled kids, um, from different districts. Uh, most of them came when they were going into ninth grade, so you don't hear about it, but, uh, I'm sure even if you look at the football rosters this weekend at the state championship, there's going to be a lot of open enrolled kids. Open enrollment doesn't seem to bother the coaches as much as, as kids going uh, to a new school after they started at another school without um, in, in kind of building a dynasty, so to speak. And, and you know, I mean, uh, I'm not here to say what's right or wrong, but, um, you know, you asked for the, for the feedback from coaches. It has not been positive. It's been very negative. Um they don't like the idea of kids uh, all going, um, you know, to one school and forming a super team. I mean, that's kind of what AAU was for. Um, but, you know, we live in a time right now, Travis, where, where kids uh, and parents, uh, probably parents more so than kids, uh, know what's going on. They look around. They know, hey, if we, you and I go here, all of a sudden we can win a state championship. Or, um, you know, if, if this coach maybe doesn't uh, – typically you're fancy with the way he runs his offense or the way he yells at kids or whatever, uh, you know, they can open and roll to a new school or move to a new community. Um, You see it all the time with, with kids jumping AAU teams. Now they're jumping high schools. And of course that's, uh, that's going on up to division one where kids are transferring left and right after the end of each year. So it's just kind of the, the, the way it is right now is we, you know, most coaches do not like it. Uh, In fact, I would say almost virtually all do not like it. Sometimes it happens um, for good reasons. Uh, kids will move to no school for good reasons. I mean, obviously that uh, I, I'm not naive to, to think that, you know, one situation might be better than another for a student. Um, but uh, the WIA has their hands full with this, and, and, and they know that. Um, uh, and and they're, they're looking at possible ways, as you know, you've written about it yourself, Travis, possible ways to try to, um, at least try to curtail it a little bit. And, you know, we did that, uh, I don't know, I guess it's been about a decade now when they put in the transfer rules. Um, and, you know, all those transfers, as you know, are, are appealable. Um, so, you know, and, and, you know, parents are smart. They know that, okay, the transfer rule states this, that, and the other. But if we do this, you know, we satisfy the transfer rule requirement. And mostly that involves moving. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that they need to tighten up those rules just a little bit um, so we don't have super teams. I, I, you know, I mean, Chicago has that every year where kids transfer, you know, even after their junior year in high school, all of a sudden they're ending up at a Simeon or a Whitney Young or whatever. And it just, it just kind of makes you shake your head um, because the other teams really don't have a chance then when you, you know, pile up three, four Division One guys on one team. So uh, it's a big issue right now. There's no question. And I think it's probably the hottest button issue 
right now in high school basketball in our state, uh, particularly with what's gone down, you know, since the end of last season. Um, so I don't have any easy answers, but I, you know, nobody does, but I, I, I think the WI is looking at it and I know they're looking at it very closely and trying to communicate with their athletic directors and administrators to try to come up with some sort of solution. So this doesn't become the norm. And not only is players moving schools within the state, open enrollment, as you mentioned, moving, transferring, what have you, there's been an increasing number of players that have left the state of Wisconsin. And, and it's not anything new. A lot of times it's uh, kids coming out of Milwaukee that have gone on to play at prep schools, etc. Desmond Polk, who had been at New Berlin West, had transferred to Nicolet and then was uh, not going to have eligibility at Nicolet because they had not met all the requirements to be eligible, rather than sit out, decided he was going to go to a uh, an elite prep school in Indiana. And again, that's something that we've seen increasing in the last few years. Where are we at with that? Is that going to only, I guess, get worse, for lack of a better way to put it? Um, and, and what what has led to some of that? Yeah, um, that's a great question. It's it's been around now for a while, like you mentioned. Um, you know, it's not a new thing. This year, uh, Desmond Polk is the biggest name, obviously, but Carlos Ramsey's another one who was uh, going to be entering his senior year this year at Destiny High School, and instead has opted to go to Compass Prep in, in Arizona. So, you know, losing two players like Desmond and Carlos from our state high school ranks is obviously a blow because they're both really good players. Um, and, you know, contribute to the overall quality of high school basketball in our state. Now, you know, in, in Desmond's case, I, I think, uh, you know, the fact that he would have had to sit out this year, it made perfect sense to go to a place like Lalamere, uh, which is one of the top prep schools in the country. Um, you know, he's going to get the chance to play many more games. He's going to play against tremendous competition. He's going to get to practice against really good uh, teammates every day. And he's also going to a, an established school. Lalamere was, has been around a long time. Their academic requirements are legit. Uh, we're not talking about one of those uh, diploma mills that pop up every now and then. So he ended up in a good spot. Um, you know, I hate to see him leave the state, but I certainly understand it. Um, I'm not as familiar with where Carlos is going at uh, Compass Prep out in Arizona, but uh, Destiny did have a coaching change. Um, and, you know, that might have contributed possibly to his des- desire to, to go to a prep school. Um, you know, I, I think depending on how the rules come out with transfers and so forth, we could see an increase in, in kids leaving um, or, or you know, it could kind of just be a trickle like it's been, uh, you know, one or two, three players uh, every year that leave, primarily from the Milwaukee area. Um, so I, I don't see a trend with more going um, unless, the you know, the rules suddenly change and, and make it, uh, uh, you know, kind of force the hand, so to speak, of, of parents and young student-athletes to maybe look more seriously at a prep school. Uh, they're all over the country, particularly on the East Coast. And um, every year, uh, you know, state high school athletic associations throughout the state, um, or throughout the country, excuse me, have to deal with, you know, the fact that, well, you know, we lost uh, three or four guys. You know, Michigan lost a bunch of really good players this year to prep schools as well. Um, and, you know, for the high school, that's tough because, uh, you know, they, they grow up with their friends and uh, all of a sudden they're leaving for their junior and senior year. They're leaving for their senior year um, and it leaves the basketball team in a bad spot, but it also, you know, leaves their friends and classmates kind of in a tough spot. But, you know, in the long term, uh, 
they're they're chasing what's best for them uh, from a basketball perspective. And certainly the prep school route uh, can be beneficial. Um, but, uh, you know, as a purist, I, I, I prefer the high school. Um, but uh, that's just my opinion. But I don't, I don't like I, to answer your question again, I don't see a, a huge trend that way, Travis, unless something were to change over the next 12 months where new rules are in place where uh, kids suddenly decide, you know, it's, it's, it's not worth staying here and be better off going to a place like Lalameter. We're breaking down some of the big stories in the 2018-19 boys basketball season. I'm Travis Wilson, the general manager at Wisports.net. Joining me is Mark Miller, the boys basketball editor for WSN. Um, as you look over the schedule for this year and, and you look over some of the top teams, what are a few games that stick out uh, as real high-level games that, that folks around the state are, are going to be interested in and going to want to be interested in? Uh, obviously, we'll see some during the playoffs, and, and we can't predict those, but one's already on the schedule. Right. What are some games to watch yeah, this I, year? Yeah, I, I just wrote down a bunch of games prior, you know, through the end of December that I think you know, we'll, we'll have a lot of eyeballs on them and it will be very fun to watch. Uh, starting next week already, at the end of the week, uh, uh, the Fresh Coast Classic down in Milwaukee has some really good matchups at the Klatchy Center on UWM's campus. And probably the biggest one is on uh, November 23rd when uh, Milwaukee, Washington takes on Racine Park. Um, they got Washington number two uh, in Division Two to start the season and, and Racine Park number three in Division One. Uh, and obviously lots of scholarship kids on the floor in those games with, with Deontay Long and, and Michael Foster from from Washington and, and obviously Noble Days and Larry Candidate from, from Racine Park. A week later at the Terry Porter Classic at Milwaukee South Division, uh, I got Washington again. <laughs> Washington this time going up against a, a very good Martin Luther team, which enters the season ranked number three in Division Three, and has a bunch of guys that have been uh, varsity guys now for three and four years. I think that'll be a, a fun game to watch. Um, and then uh, the big NY2LA event at Brookfield Central, excuse me, on December 15th uh, has one of the uh, feature games of the entire season uh, with Sussex Hamilton and Patrick Baldwin taking on Nicolay with um, Jamari Sibley and Jalen Johnson and, and uh, you know, James Graham and all the players at Nicolay. I think that would be a heck of a game to see. And then I, I highlighted one game each day from the WBY shootout, kind of uh, maybe some, one of the games that um, – people might want to watch on our first day, which is Thursday, December 27th at Concordia. They got Brookfield Central and Martin Luther. Uh, Brook Central obviously got a lot back. Two really good guards and Cole now engage Malinsack uh, and a really good sophomore prospect in David Joplin. Uh, and then on the 28th, uh, I think a really good small school game. In fact, it's our number one and number two teams in Division Four playing each other. Mineral Point against Milwaukee Academy of Science. Unfortunately for MAS, they will be without Darius Hanna, uh, their 6'8 junior. Uh, he will be out probably until mid to late January while recovering from an injury he sustained last summer while playing basketball. And, of course, Mineral Point, uh, our number one ranked team, has, has two really solid, solid prospects, and Isaac Lindsay and Braden Daly, and, and just some really good players to go with them. And then on the last day, um, a really good Milwaukee Lutheran team We'll take on uh, Waukesha West, which is ranked preseason number one in Division One. So those are a few games, uh, you know, in, in November and December. There's many more, obviously, but uh, those are a few of the games that I think will be fun to, to monitor and see how they come out. 
And I want to ask you about Waukesha West. Uh, you have them, like you said, ranked number one in Division One to begin the year. And I think that um, maybe caught a, a few people by surprise. Waukesha West is a team that hasn't been among the elite teams in the state of Wisconsin for a while. Their last and only state appearance was 1998 when Brian Zarniak led them to the uh, state tournament. Uh, got a chance to play against him in Waukesha West in a summer tournament that year, actually, which would have been my uh, before my senior year. I think he picked my pocket and uh, had about three <laughs> or four steals against me, uh, but a heck of a player. But Waukesha West, again, they haven't been at state. They, you know, they haven't been uh, real highly ranked, um, but obviously some emerging prospects. And uh, you have them ahead of teams like Sussex, Hamilton, Brookfield Central, etc. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about Waukesha West and, and why you have them at number one. Well, I might be kind of stupid to to, to, to do that, to be honest with you. Um, you know, thinking back to when I did this ranking about a month and a half ago, you know, prior to getting the yearbook off to the printer, um, you know, I mean, Sussex is so loaded. Uh, my thought process was that um, that Waukesha was seniors and Sussex was, was mostly underclassmen. Um, and that I just thought that West uh, kind of had that um, kind of had that edge in terms of maturity and experience. Their their top four guys, um, even their sophomore Campolisi, um, are, are really mature physically type of guys that that are tough and and, and uh, can play a physical game. They're, they also are very skilled. You know, David Skogman is is our best. Uh, uh, big man who can score in the state, um, you know, at 6'10". He's got a lot of scholarship offers out there. Um, and then, you know, the other guys that, that, you know, have been with him all along are Rocky Martinez. Uh, I believe this will be his third year of varsity and same thing with Chris Breedy. So those two guys, I think, are, are really, really solid players and, and will be borderline Division two uh, and certainly surefire Division three guys at the college level. Um, and then I, yeah, obviously David Skogman and, and Cam Polisi, I think will end up at probably most likely at the division one level. So, you know, you're talking about four college players, uh, in your starting lineup. Now they're not very deep. Um, and like you mentioned before, Travis, it's not like, you know, we're talking about a team that's been there, done that before. So, uh, and they play in the classic eight. So they're going to get tested a lot throughout the season by, by Arrowhead and, and, uh, Kettle Moraine and, uh, Oconomowoc, all the teams, obviously in that, in that nine team circuit. So, um, but I did go with them because they had their, their top, uh, three of their top four are senior guys that have played varsity basketball for a number of years. And just kind of seems like, you know, they're ready to put their stamp uh, on the state, so to speak with putting Waukesha West, uh, you know, back on the map, but, uh, they're going to get tested. Obviously you mentioned Sussex and we talked about Racine park with noble days and Larry Canada and, Brookfield Central with, with Gage and Cole, um, you know, Brookfield East is going to be really good. Uh, Kimberly, I think will be very solid out of the FBA, uh, Memorial and Mafalet and Madison are very good. So there's, you know, this is a razor thin, number one ranking. Um, sometimes you, you, you put down a team as number one and you're like, well, no one's going to argue with that. I think Banger last year at D five was kind of in that category where it's like, you know, you'd be silly not to put them number one. Well, I think this year, particularly in D1 and D2, you couldn't have gone a number of different ways. You certainly could have gone with Sussex or Park as the number one team in D1. And, and you really could have gone with Washington or, or Lacrosse Central in D2 as well. So uh, when that speaks to our depth, you know, and the, the fact that we got really good teams uh, and not just one team that's that's clear-cut favorite to win. All right, Mark, we'll have plenty more 
discussion of the boys' basketball season over the next few weeks. We'll uh, we'll have you on the podcast um, every other week or, or so to kind of get caught up on on the big stories, what's going on, reaction to anything that does come out. Uh, but before we let you go on this edition of the WSN podcast, uh, give us, uh, as we do every week, your stat of the week. Sure. Uh, my stat of the week this week um, is the fact that uh, Sun Prairie last year ended Madison Memorial's 14-year streak of winning the Big A Conference Championship. And, you know, it's been discussed, but I think I think it's, you know, does a general fan really realize how difficult it is to win 14 titles in a row in, in arguably the state's best conference? I mean, it certainly is in the top couple, if it's not the best. Um, so, uh, you know, will Memorial be able to bounce back this year and get back that title? I mean, they're certainly going to be hungry for it after losing out last year. But I, I guess I just want to, you know, give one final salute to Madison Memorial for that incredible run of 14 Big 8 conference titles in a row. And I, they did share a couple of those, but nonetheless, they did win 14 in a row. Uh, and that's quite a run. And obviously, they had some great players along the way, Vander Blue and Jerron Bayman and Keaton Ankeville. I mean, go on and on with the with the tremendous talent that's come out of that program and uh, that Steve Collins has developed over the last, uh, you know, 15 years or so. But um, that's my stat of the week. One final salute to uh, Memorial for the incredible accomplishment of 14 big eight titles in a row. And uh, do you have a rant of the week for us this week? <laughs> well, uh, you know, one thing that kind of bothers me a little bit, uh, and I, I understand why it's, why it's done, but it still bothers me, and it, it, it actually has to do with college basketball because uh, the college seasons got underway this past uh, you know week or so. And uh, the thing that really kind of annoys me, um, and I don't know how you feel about it, Travis, but when Division three or even Division two schools play a Division one school in a, in a game in a regular season game, not in an exhibition game, that annoys me. For instance, Wisconsin Lutheran played at Green Bay uh, last week. And it was more than a 50-point difference. And, it, 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 you know, it's, it's one of those games that counts, um, at least as far as the record goes. Now the selection committee throws those games out. But um, it just kind of bothers me. And, and, you know, yet at the same time, I realize that the, the mid-majors have a really hard time getting good teams to come into their venues, and they have to have so many home games to, to help their athletic budgets. Um, I get all that, um, but it still annoys me. <laughs> so that's my rant of the week. I, I, I don't disagree. I, I guess I didn't even realize until I saw that uh, Green Bay and Wisconsin Lutheran had been bumped up to the first game of the entire basketball college basketball season at Division One that they actually were counting those D3 games uh, in, in records. They weren't just exhibitions like we've seen Wisconsin do a number of times. Right. And, uh, and, you know, it... Uh, yeah, surprising to say the least that they would uh, include those things. So, well, Mark, yeah. uh, we appreciate you joining us. First time that you've joined us on our WSN podcast that we just uh, launched this fall. We've we've done a few of these over the years on on previews of playoffs and things like that. But uh, we'll be doing a weekly WSN podcast continuing during the basketball season. We'll have you on uh, a number of times. We'll have Norbert Durst on, our girls basketball writer as well. So appreciate you joining us, Mark. And uh, really looking forward to a great season and all the coverage on WSN. For, uh, for everyone listening at home, thanks for joining us again. I'm Travis Wilson. He was Mark Miller of WSN. Look for some more 
podcast later this week. We'll have a girls basketball centric one with Norbert Durst. We'll have a football preview coming out on Wednesday. Until then, we will see you at a game. <laughs>